Hey Siri, define Pantagruelian. Pantagruelian is a rarely used term that means enormous or very large. In other words, the size of the women's bathroom line at a Taylor Swift concert. Good morning. Welcome to Northridge. So glad that you are here with us today. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in our second week of a series entitled, In Other Words. It's those religious words. It's those words that we only hear in church, and we don't even hear them that often here in church. And so we thought we'd take some weeks and just kind of break down some big terms, some things you hear from time to time, and say, hey, what, what does that word really mean? Well, just a, a story, some things about me as we break into this, this talk today. Um, I have s- some kids, and my youngest is nine, but we have been doing foster care. And so for the last month, I've had a three-year-old and a four-year-old in my house. So we've got two smaller ones. And what that's brought to the mix for these do- girls in my, in my house is um, when we go to a store, things are just different now. They just are. They're different. Uh, Elise is nine, um, they're three and four, it's different. So what we do is when we arrive in the parking lot, we kind of go over the ground rules. And those ground rules include, we're going to be getting out of the car, and when we get out, I want you to grab hands, because we can't have you just tearing across the parking lot headed where we think we're going, right? And so we'll do that. When we get in the store, some things to think about. Uh, One, stay near us, like we don't want to lose you, so stay close by. And while in the store, use your inside voices, not your outside voices, because we're going to be inside. Uh, There is a candy aisle in this store. just need to know that. We just ate lunch. We had dessert. We're all good. We don't need anything, right? Okay? So don't head down the candy aisle and start grabbing stuff. And then last but not least, you know, just keep your hands to yourself. I know there's going to be a bunch of stuff in here. Uh, Don't touch things. Don't break things. Please, 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 because... Daddy is afraid of those signs that you'll see in stores. It's kind of like they haunt me, those signs that say, you broke it and now you need to buy it. I uh, went looking on Google for some of those signs, and you've seen them, and they, they look in all different uh, shapes and manners, and, and I came across some. Uh, here's one that just talks about, you know, kids are welcome, but if they break it, you buy it. If they break it, you buy it. Uh, another one I found, they add a heart, and so they try to like, add warm fuzzy so you feel better about it, but it says the same thing. <laughs> you break it, you buy it. It's all on you. Uh, here's another one. They add a rhyme to it. They're like, hey, we'll add a jingle. People will feel better about it, but it says the same thing. Lovely to look at, lovely to hold. If it gets broken, consider it sold. Humor. Humor. This next one brought humor to the, to the fold. It says, if you, or you don't carry a baby with one hand, would you? Why treat your beer any differently? Brought to you by broken beers everywhere. You break it, you buy it, please carry responsibly. At the gym, you see them as well. Uh, you break it, you buy it. And we know this to be true, right? I mean, when something's broken, somebody has to pay. And it might be me as dad who has to pay if there's a sign like one of these that's there, or it might be the store. But always somebody's paying. Somebody has to pay when something's broken. You break it, you buy it. And we know it to be true. And that brings us to our word for this week, the word that we're going to be focusing on. And that word is atonement. 
atonement. And it's all about you break it, you buy it. That, that's what this topic is. Atonement is a, it's a good Bible word. It's a word that, I mean, when, when, when was the last time you talked about atonement outside of a religious setting? Like, we just don't, right? It, it's just something that we have here. The official definition of atonement is satisfaction or reparation for a wrong. Satisfaction or reparation for a wrong. It's making something right. It's fixing something that's wrong. You blew it, now go fix it. Um, I think about it with siblings, right? With kids, right? I mean, you can't do that to your brother, right? You just can't do that. You've got to make that right. You can't do that to your sister, right? That, that can't happen. You've got to make it right. Uh, the English word atonement originally went, meant at one meant. Being at one with someone. Being in harmony with someone. At one meant. Uh, I think in a, in a relationship sense, when we think about it in a relational way, atonement is the covering over of an offense. It's covering that offense over. It's fixing it. Uh, it's been said that the doctrine of atonement is the most important doctrine in the Bible. And I believe it is. I believe it's true. You say, how so? Well, think about it. As humans, we've all sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all been separated from God. We've broken that relationship with God. We deserve separation from God, who's a holy, righteous God, and we deserve it for all eternity. We deserve hell. God's a just God, and he cannot tolerate sin, and we are full of it as humans. It's the biggest problem we've got as humans. We've broke it, and we need it fixed. And God's answer is this doctrine, the doctrine of atonement. Uh, Charles Spurgeon has this to say about the doctrine of atonement. He says, to deny the great doctrine of atonement is to hamstring the gospel and cut the throat of Christianity. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, what do we see in the Bible about this big word called atonement? Now, before we uh, begin to break it down, I, I want you to um, just hear a couple disclaimers. We're going we're to be going to Leviticus in the Old Testament. Now, Leviticus is the place where Bible reading plans come to die. It just is, okay? You just need to know it. Like we get into Genesis and we get into Exodus and it's all narrative and we're feeling good, we're feeling good, we're feeling good. And then we hit Leviticus. Whoa, like what's going on there? You know, you got animals and you got blood and it's like sacrifice and oh, I don't know. I, you know, where is that New Testament again? And you run back there, right? If you make, you know, if you make it through Leviticus, you got numbers. <laughs> what do you do with that? So we're going to Leviticus. So a couple of disclaimers as we go to Leviticus. Uh, first of all, there's going to be some stuff in here that's going to feel a little weird, okay? Just for our culture, it's going to feel weird. And you're going to say, you know, what's going on there? You know, does, does God hate animals? Like, does he not like animals? Like, I don't understand this interplay. What's happening here? And so if you've ever felt that, if you've ever, you know, read your Bible and come to those spots and said, I don't even know what to do with this. I can't explain it. My kids asked about it. Like, what do I do? Today's talk's for you, because we're going to kind of deal with that and kind of uncover what's going on with this whole animal thing, what's happening with the sacrifice thing, and what, what, what can we do with it, how do we understand it a little better. It's called atonement. Um, as we work through this, one thing to keep in mind whenever you look at the Bible, whenever you look at the Bible, remember the Bible was written by God to an Eastern culture, to an Eastern mindset. Uh, people who lived in an Eastern culture, they think differently than we do. Uh, they think pictures and images and metaphors, that, that's how they think. We, in our Western mindset, I mean, this is how I think, this is what we think. We think words and definitions and propositions. I mean, that's, that's how we break things out. We want lists, you know, one, two, three. I mean, we're, we're looking for it that way. It's all about images and metaphors and pictures. I mean, think about how Jesus taught. 
He, everything he taught was pictures and metaphors and images. And that's because he was trying to connect with the culture that was in play. That's an Eastern culture. So that's what we're looking at here today. Um, we're going to be in Leviticus 16, right smack dab in the middle of the book of Leviticus. If you want to turn there using one of our Bibles, it's on page 92. You can find it on your app, on your phone, or you can uh, use your own Bible. But we, we want to break this down together. And if you might notice, above verse 1 in Leviticus 16, it says the Day of Atonement. Uh, and that's what we're going to break down. There was actually a, a day of atonement in Old Testament times. God set up. He said, this is your day to celebrate your atonement. And this is what it looks like. This is what you need to do. And so we want to walk that through together. The day of atonement actually was the highest holy day of the year for a Jewish person. Uh, there was nothing higher. Uh, it happened 10 days into the seventh month. It actually was the start of their religious calendar. So this was 10 days into their religious year. Um, it came at the end of 10 days of celebration, kind of like their high holy days is how they refer to it, except this day, this day of atonement was their highest holy day, the highest holy day of the whole year. They call it Yom Kippur. And so this was the celebration of all celebrations, and it landed at the end of 10 days of introspection, 10 days of kind of considering, how'd the last year go? How am I feeling about this next year? What am I going to do differently? And then it, here's this celebration day. It was the only day that was a required fast for all of Israel, and it was also a required day of rest for all of Israel. So that's the day we're looking at. It's the only day that a high priest would have entered the most holy place was on this day. So I'm going to begin reading uh, here in Leviticus chapter uh, 16, and I'm going to um, just work us through some verses to help us to, to follow along. And I'm going to do that beginning with uh, verse 5 of Leviticus 16. It says, speaking here about Aaron, the high priest, it says, From the Israelite community, he, Aaron, is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Okay, so as we get started, four animals, okay? Four pictures, four animals in play. And as we look at these animals here, we got a couple of goats, we've got a ram, and we've got a young bull. Uh, this talks about how one of these animals, the ram, was actually a burnt offering, and the other three were sin offerings. What does that mean? Uh, if it was a burnt offering, that meant it was offered for general atonement for the people. And what that meant is it was designed to cover over uh, people's sins, their sins between them and God. It was designed to cover over their sins in a general way, kind of like for your sin nature. It took care of their sin nature. And then there was a second uh, set of sacrifices that were made that were called sin offerings. And these were more specific. These were about specific faults or sins and bringing purification to them in these specific areas. So these are specific sins that they knew of, that they blew it on, and that they wanted different. And so here we've got two um, goats. Those goats would have been the sin offerings for the people of Israel. And then there's a bull. And that bull would have been the sin offering for the high priest. And uh, that's kind of our setting. That's what we're walking into here as we walk into this text. Um, one bull, uh, two goats, and uh, also a ram. You see, in an Eastern mindset, they're thinking pictures. And this is why God's listing these out for them and, and helping them. And remember, in all of this, when it comes to atonement, you break it, you bought it. Like, there's a problem that's happened. There's a chasm as a result of sin. And God's saying, okay, to kind of help you with this picture... I want you to take these four animals and I want you to work this thing through to help you to understand what this all means. He's basically saying, your sins have separated you from me. Now, our relationship's been broken. I want you to watch each year as these animals shed their blood as a vivid picture for you of how bad your sin is. You see, your sin has devastated my relationship with you. In fact, the scripture says, your sin has made you an enemy of me. I can't tolerate sin. 
And so once a year, I want you just to remember that. I want you to take back and just remember what it means when you sin compared to who I am. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The death of animals was a picture of how they were sinners and they deserved separation from God forever because of their sin. God was offering them forgiveness and it was a foreshadowing that was in place here of saying, I'm gonna give you forgiveness, but you just need to know, this hurts, your sin hurts. And I'm noticing. Jumping back to Leviticus, um, verse seven and eight of chapter 16, this is what we see happened next, tied to the two goats. It says, then he, Aaron, is to take the two goats and to present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he's to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And what does it mean to cast lots? It's, it's like rolling dice or drawing out of a hat. I mean, it's like a lottery system. So basically what they did was they took this lottery box, they put a couple markers in it, and they picked out of the box and they said, okay, one of these goats is going to be chosen to cover over sins and to kind of help our people to remember that their sins have been covered and that we offer a covering for them. And the second goat is going to be all about the removal of sins. It's called the scapegoat. So you've got one that uh, is going to cover over sins. That's the one that's going to be sacrificed. And then you have the second scapegoat who's going to be all about the removal of the sins. And we're going to visualize that for people because we're, again, in Eastern culture and they need to see this uh, up close and personal. Uh, chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, it says, Then Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Two goats, two distinctly different jobs. Uh, the first goat would have been sacrificed because of their rebellion, because of their sins. Basically, as a, okay, as a nation, you all have sinned in a whole bunch of ways. This goat will remind you of um, just the, the payment that needs to be made because of this. It's something that you need to see. The second goat, it says here, uh, was, was remaining alive. And in verses 22 and 23, it tells us what to do with that goat. It says he is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and to confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins. So confess their sins over this goat and put them on the goat's head. Uh, he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man will release it in the wilderness. Uh, this is something that they did for years. I mean, year after year after year. One goat's sacrificed and then a second is brought out as a live goat referred to as the scapegoat. In fact, they did this in Jesus' day and uh, they actually, Jesus would have watched this happen and it would be cool to kind of you know, throw ourselves in a, time machine and go back in time and say, you know, what did Jesus see? What would this have looked like? What would it have felt like on this day? Uh, we, we can't take you back to the temple because the temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, but we can bring out a goat. And so we're going to do that today and show you what happened with the scapegoat. So bring out the scapegoat. A lot of awes. Um, the, the scapegoat would have been a male goat. It would have been about this size. And that male goat would have uh, come out, and uh, he, would, he wouldn't have been used to lights. He wouldn't have been used to auditoriums. But he would have been brought out into the temple area. And it says that people would have all been watching this happen as the high priest was there. Uh, what it says took place when this male goat was brought forth uh, is 
the first thing that happened is the high priest would take and he'd put his hands on the head of the goat. So he'd place his hands on the head of the goat. And when he did, what he was doing was he was signifying that he was transferring the sins of all the people from the last year onto the head of this goat. And so this goat is taking everybody's sins for the whole year. And they're adding them all up and they're sticking them on this goat. I mean, this is one loaded goat when he's done with that event. Uh, as a part of that, he actually prayed. And so as he put his hands on them, the Mishnah and the Talmud talk about him praying for them. He prayed uh, for the children of Israel, a prayer of confession. We don't know what that prayer was. It may have been similar to Daniel chapter 9. There's a prayer of confession there for the people of Israel. Uh, we don't know. But it says the people in the meantime were praying as well. So as this prayer is happening here, this prayer of confession, it talks about how the people lay prostrate. What that means is they lay on their face. So they're on their knees, they are bowing down before God, and they're saying, please forgive me for my sins. Um, I, I need forgiveness for my sins, and I need you to take my sins and place them on this goat. I need to be forgiven for the last year. Now, they talk about how in that moment, I mean, it was, it was just a moment of, remember, remember, for the last 10 days, they've been introspect, in, in introspection and thinking about how the last year went. And so this culminates with this celebration where they're like, I need forgiveness and, and I, I want God's help in the midst of this. I have a friend who's Jewish who lives here in Rochester and she goes to synagogue and I was asking her about the Day of Atonement and I was saying, you know, so what's that like? You know, what's it like when you experience a Day of Atonement on an annual basis? You know, obviously they don't have the temple and they don't do the goat thing and, and all that, but I said, what does it feel like? She said, it, it is my most holy day of the year and it is a day when I beg for my life for another year. She said, we pray for five to six hours straight begging for another year of forgiveness because we know that we need it. Kind of sad, but also kind of convicting because how often do I pray in that way and say, God, I need forgiveness for my sins. But that's what they do year after year. And that's what would have happened. Uh, another thing that would have happened with this goat being here, they actually would have taken a red cord out, uh, similar to this. And it talks about how this red cord would have represented their sins. It would have represented their their sins, the blood that should have been shed because of their sins, the separation between them and God that was needed because of their sins. They actually took this red cord and they would have placed it over the goat's head. And as that red cord landed on the head, that was something that signified for them that this was the goat that had all the sins of the nation of Israel loaded on it. From there, they would take this goat and they would walk it off the stage there in the temple would walk out of the temple area. People would cheer as it went. They'd head out of the city gates. People would cheer as it went, and they would take it 10 miles out of the city, and they would release it. Tradition says that somewhere along the way, one of these goats on the Day of Atonement wandered back into Jerusalem, <laughs> and pandemonium <laughs> ensued. <laughs> it, was, it was not good. And as a result of that, they added to their traditions the pushing of the goat that won the lottery over a cliff. And that's something that happened for the years that happened after that. Uh, that's what they did. It was something that God gave them. It was a visual. Remember, this is all a visual. This is something God built into their yearly cycle to say, hey, listen, you need forgiveness. I want to offer you forgiveness. You need a scapegoat. You need someone to take your sins away. And they watched as all their sins were loaded on this goat and this goat was sent away. Now, why, why would this happen? Why in the world would God even do this? Why would he want this to take place for his people? I think there's a couple things. One, God wanted his relationship with his people to be something that they realized how serious it was. They wanted him to realize the seriousness of sin. That's why one goat would have died. 
because he wanted, your sin is serious and it separates you from me. The second thing I think that he wanted them to experience is he wanted them to see a picture of their sins leaving. He wanted them to see, them, them to see a picture of the forgiveness that was available. They could load their sins on a goat and watch the goat head off into the sunset and say, there want my sins for the last year and they could celebrate with it. You can take the goat, thanks. I think there's a practical side to all this as we think through this visual, this image, this tool that God gave to people who live in an Eastern culture. Think about if we were there. Put yourselves there. If we experienced this, if we were part of the large group of people who are bowing down and are praying to God, think about what would happen if we watched our sins leave year after year. And we watched them leave. Think about uh, the imagery tied to that. And think about also the thought of spending 10 days considering how we've done the last year last year and considering how we want to do in the coming year see i think that's powerful i think that's powerful because i think there's things that we all bring to church with us week in and week out every week sins pet sins things we hold on to and we don't give them up we just don't we hold them we keep them and we bring them here week after week after week if there was a once a year deal where it was like okay this is the day and we're starting over and we're getting a clean slate and we're leaving it there we're not taking this one home we're no the goat left the building like he's gone he took my sin with him that's a powerful piece of imagery for us well what would sins like that be for you and for me is it bitterness maybe bitterness towards someone else you know the, the scriptures say bitterness is a sin you know, they were wrong. They sinned against me. They did. They sinned against me. They did wrong. And now I'm just struggling to let it go. It eats at me. It's inside there. But I'm struggling to let it go. Bitterness towards someone else. Is, is that something you struggle with today? Is that something I struggle with today? Maybe for you it's not bitterness against someone else. Maybe it's bitterness against yourself. Maybe there's things inside you that you just can't forgive yourself for. Yeah, you know God said he forgave, but I just can't let that one go because, I, no, I need to keep paying for that one. And, you know, it's a stain. I look at myself, and that's kind of a stain from my past. People might know about it. They might not. It doesn't matter. That is a stain, and I'm not letting that one go because I, I need to keep beating on myself. If you saw a visual of a goat leaving with that sin, would that help you? Say, no, no it's gone. Like, it left the building. God gave them that every year. Maybe for you it's a different kind of sin. Maybe it's a secret sin, you know, something nobody knows about. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship. Or maybe it's a more common sin. We've all got them. You know, maybe it's a gossip or slander or pride or arrogance or selfishness. We've all walked in with sins today. Every last one of us, we're full of them. And this day of atonement was a time when you could leave it and say, okay, no, no, that's leaving. I'm starting fresh. I'm starting new. I want that sin off the table, and that sin left with the goat. It was powerful. It was something God gave to them. You see, the Day of Atonement was a celebration of freedom and release after introspection, a celebration of freedom and release. It was freedom from the last year's worth of sins, and it was a release from sin moving forward, right? Freedom and release. I don't have to do that anymore. That's forgiven, and moving forward, I can be different. So it's freedom and release for them. And they did it year after year after year. It was like they would kind of save up a new pile of sins every year and they'd pile it all up and then they'd bring it with them to the temple. And year after year, they'd see those sins walk out the door with that scapegoat. And they'd cheer and, and away it'd go and they'd start over. And then another pile and then bring it and release. Another pile and bring it and release. Well, why don't we do that today anymore? Like, why, 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 don't, why didn't God give us that picture? What, what's the difference? What's going on? 
In the New Testament, we see why we don't have that picture any longer. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, we see, it says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, for us, it's not goats. That's not the way it is. It's Jesus. And for us, it's not year after year after year. It's once for all. It's something that one time happened and no longer do we need to keep doing it. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, it says about Jesus, he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the age to do away with sins by the sacrificing of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Again, once for all. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's our word. Through the shedding of his blood, not goat's blood, to be received by faith. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we don't need goats in the picture any longer. Christ's sacrifice covered it all. You see, what were goats? Goats in the Old Testament, I mean, they, they were a picture. They were an image. They, they were a metaphor. They were foreshadowing that Jesus was coming. Because those goats really couldn't cover over their sins. It was like, no, 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 you, you got to know. Something's coming that's going to truly cover your sins. And that's the blood of Jesus. That's what Jesus offered in himself. You see, in all of this, it's like goats were a placeholder. And they were like, hey, just so you know, this is coming. Just so you know, you need atonement, but this is coming. And it's available down the road. Um, God didn't hate animals. Um, he didn't hate goats. He didn't hate Jesus. He loved you, and he loved me. He did. He did. And I mean, think about it. This is the creator of the universe, and he's willing to allow animals to die year after year and allow his son to die, to be put to death so that you and I can be forgiven. And he gave them this picture that they could see over and over again about his amazing love for you and me. You know, it's almost like God's story says, we broke it, but he bought it. You know, we broke it, but he bought it. It's like... God's with us in a store and we look at our sin, the sin in my life and in yours. It's like we're in a store and, and he's with us and you know, we go over to the mug section and we just start throwing mugs on the ground and breaking them. He goes, oh, I'll buy that one. Yep, oh, oh, I got that one. I'll pick that one up over there. Yeah, okay, I got one. That one over there. Yep, that's my kid. I got him over there. And then we run to the mirror section. We start picking up mirrors and throwing them on the ground, just breaking them and breaking them. He's like, oh, I got that one. I got that one. And then over to the floral section and we're like, you know, ripping plants out and stuff. And he's like, oh, I'll take that. I'll cover that. I got that. Amazing what he offers to you and me. We break it and he buys it. We break it and he buys it. We break it and he buys it. You know, and in that, I think sometimes there's sins that I want to beat myself up with and I want to keep reminding myself of or other people want to be, keep reminding me of that I've asked for forgiveness for. Like I've repented of and I've turned from. And it says forgiveness is there. And he says, no, I, don't, I want you to celebrate forgiveness. Don't remind yourself of that one. No, no, that one's been released. It's been paid for. It left with the goat. Powerful imagery there. I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe it's an outburst of anger or a broken relationship or a year of college or a set of friends that you picked or some missed opportunities or a job that you had or some words of gossip or slander, selfish actions. I'm not sure, but when it happened, you just need to know if you're forgiven, you're forgiven. It's gone. It's left the building. And that's such an amazing truth that we don't deserve, but he offers to all of us. Scapegoats were a visual reminder of atonement 
for Old Testament times. That's what they were, a visual reminder for them in their Eastern culture. It was a picture of freedom and release from sin that they could celebrate over and over again. And today, God's given us some pictures as well. It's not just all about the people in the Old Testament. He's given us pictures too. Uh, Communion today is a visual reminder of atonement for us as believers. It is. It's our Yom Kippur. It's our highest holy day. It mirrors. It's atonement. It is. Communion is for us what scapegoats were for them. That's what it is. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, it talks about Jesus, at the, and it talks about what he did right before he was crucified. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, keep doing this. Keep celebrating this. This isn't a one-time deal. Keep celebrating it. This is like the Day of Atonement. This is like Yom Kippur. Continue to celebrate this. Have this be something that you are about. Um, The similarities don't end there with Old Testament and New Testament. I I love it. If you look down in verse 28, catch this. Verse 28 says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Examine yourselves before you do it. How does that tie to the Day of Atonement? They spent 10 days examining themselves with the Day of Atonement, and then they celebrated together. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all the same story. It's what I love about the Bible. You know, it's all one story. Genesis to Revelation, it's all the same story. 66 books, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years on three continents and three different languages, and it's all the same story. How did they do that? How did they get it all to tie together? Because it wasn't their story. It's God's story, and it was a story written for you and for me. And he left it there for us to know how much he loves us and all that he's done for us, and it is incredible. Uh, Communion is a celebration of freedom and release after introspection. It is. It's a celebration of our freedom, and it's a celebration of our release. Um, And and it is a relief from our past sins and freedom from our future sins, just like the Day of Atonement would have been for them. I thought, what better way to end a talk like this than to end with communion, right? I mean, if that's what it is, if this is our day of atonement, then we ought to celebrate it. We ought to just remember. If that, this is God's visual imagery for us, let's do this together. So what we're going to do is we're going to just give you a couple things to consider as we prepare for communion together. Uh, first of all, uh, what sins did you bring with you today that you might want to leave here today, not take home with you? If this was day of atonement, we were sitting out here, and we we're spending 10 days of introspection. You can cover a lot of things in 10 days of introspection. What sins do you want to leave here today and not take with you? You want them to leave with that goat that left a little bit ago. Second thing to consider as we, as we do this, uh, what might celebration look like if we truly watched a goat leave with all our sins? Like all of our sins from the last year. What would celebration look like from us? What would it look like if we watched a goat leave with all of our sins for our whole lifetime? Which is what communion really is. It's not our picture. This is God's picture. Think about that. He's watching. He's watching. Here's what we're going to do. First thing we're going to do is we're going to give you a chance just for some silent introspection to consider your heart. They took 10 days for silent introspection. We're not taking 10 days. But we're going to give you some moments to consider that. Next thing we're going to do is we're going to sing a song of introspection just for you to kind of consider and ponder and think through. Um, As we do that, they're going to hand out some crackers and some juice, the communion elements. Hold those. Drew's going to come out in a little bit, and we're going to partake of those together. If you're a Christ follower, please take take, um, some of the juice and 
and one of those crackers to, to celebrate with us. We'll partake together when Drew's here, and then we're going to sing a song of celebration. And I just ask you, what would you sing like if you're in the te temple? It was the presence of God was there. He was there as a, a pillar of fire, as a cloud, and you were singing to him. That's what we want to do today. We sing that way. Before we spend our time in introspection, I just want to take you back where I started us today on the whole introspection front. What do you need to release? For you, is it something tied to someone else? Is it bitterness tied to what someone else has done in your life that you need to release today? For you, is it bitterness towards yourself? Something you're holding on to, connected to yourself that you need to release today? You need God's help in releasing today. Or for you, is it a sin that you just keep committing? You know it's not right, but you just keep committing. Maybe you're here today and say, you know, Scott, I can't think of any sins. I think I'm, I think I'm good. I think maybe I'll set this one out. You know, like, you know, you talk this, God's not convicting me. I'm not, I'm not picking up on anything today. Like, I, I'm not, you know, I, I think this is one for me to sit out. If that's what you're thinking, I just would challenge you. Maybe yours is pride and arrogance. Maybe yours is self-sufficiency, prayerlessness. I mean, pride and arrogance did not go well for the Pharisees. That was their number one struggle. Didn't go well for Satan. It knocked him out of heaven. We all have sin struggles. And I'm telling you, no matter who you are, it's the thing I can guarantee, we all walked in with things today that need to leave with the go. And this is a great opportunity for us all to consider them, spend some time considering, and then spend some time celebrating. This is God's idea. Let's do it well, all for his honor and glory.